welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I met today's guest several years ago online when she and a colleague hosted a link-up party. Now, before you start imagining all sorts of outrageous things, let me explain that in this case... A link-up was a way for a collection of bloggers to support each other. We all focused on midlife subjects, so it was easy to connect with and promote each other. In prepping for this chat today, I realized that other than commenting on and sharing each other's blog posts, I don't think we've ever really talked. Through her writing, though, I felt I knew Leanne, and then, coincidentally, she made a major decision about her life that I had made a few years earlier. Leanne Lacroix, all the way from Australia, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Yeah, I'm excited and looking forward to what we're going to chat about today. Yeah, no, I'm excited too. I've had one other guest from Australia, so I'd already done the time zone shuffle, the time zone puzzle, shall we say. Um, But let's review this. This episode is actually airing Wednesday morning here in BC, Canada. Right now, we're recording at 6 p.m., on Wednesday here in Canada. What time is it for you? It's nine o'clock Wednesday morning. So we're nearly, oh, we're half a day ahead of you, a night ahead of you. Yeah, I always, it, it interests me because I was thinking if there's ever a zombie apocalypse or the end of the world, it'll happen in Australia before it happens to you guys. So you sort of got, you know, a heads up on us. So it's all good. <laughs> oh, Okay. Uh, it, it's funny because I'm sort of semi-aware of it. My my son did live in New Zealand for an, uh, several years, so I I knew you were ahead of us. But uh, I do need to admit my geographical ignorance. When I was converting the time zones, I didn't realize that you had multiple time zones in Australia. Yeah, um, I'm in Western Australia, and we we're on our time zone. Then on the east coast, they're two hours ahead of us. But then in amongst that, they throw in daylight savings, but not all of Australia uses daylight savings. So at any given time, someone can be three hours ahead, two hours ahead, one hour ahead. So it's all over the shop and you just, people complain about it all the time and you just get on with it because I don't like daylight savings. So I'm happy that we don't have it and it's all good. Oh, we have the same thing on the West Coast of Canada here. But because we are so tied in with the U- U.S., we're sort of waiting for the West Coast of the U.S. to decide not to have daylight savings, and we'll do the same. And I'm I'm of the mind, just deal with the time change. I don't care which one they settle on, but let's just have the same time all year round mm-hmm. so my dog adjusts. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, dear. Yeah, and just the, the geography lesson, I live on a big island. Uh, Australia is an island of sorts, mm -hmm. but obviously more continent-like than mine. Um, I did actually flash up a world map uh, when I was going back and forth, and I didn't realize it, but Australia at its widest point is almost as wide of like all of South America yeah. at its widest point. So I think it's like an 800 kilometer difference, which isn't mm. much. Mm. And there's not a lot in between. We've got a big desert bit in the middle, so it's kind of like we're all coastal. So yeah, it's, oh, okay. it's different. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the romances for us North American people because everybody wants to go to Australia <laughs> up here. <laughs> so, don't, okay, I'm just going to say this once too much Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> but, um, anyways, thank you so much for accommodating our talk today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Okay, we're going to jump in uh, and talk about this major decision that both of us have made, albeit at different times, but for the same reason. I think the primary difference between you and me is that I'm single, so I didn't need to consult with anyone prior to, whereas you're married, so probably had more than a few discussions with your husband first. Tell us, if you don't mind, about um, your decision made in February 2019. Oh, okay. Um, I blog about it a lot, but basically what happened was a few years before that, I was approached by a lady that I knew socially um, who was the wife and practice manager of a surgeon and she headhunted me and offered me this amazing job and it was an amazing job. It was excellent pay, fantastic hours. I job shared it with another girl who I just got on really well with. It was just, it was like, it was like God had handed me this job for the next 10 years until I retired and it's going to be beautiful. But what I didn't know was that under the shiny veneer of this lady and her husband was this toxic marital mess with this insane jealousy. And it wasn't me that she was jealous of. I was kind of like became her best friend and she just poured everything onto me. So she, she, there was screaming, there was raging, there was fighting behind closed doors in his office. There was just, it was a nightmare. And I wanted that job so badly. I wanted to keep it so badly that I did a lot to try and figure out ways to keep that job, you know, like talked it out with her, did all this stuff. And things would improve for five minutes a week, a month, and then it would just go back to what it was. And eventually the crunch came and yeah that's where the story starts so and you pulled the plug I pulled the plug if you don't mind I'm going to ask you what sort of discussions you and your husband had prior to arriving at your decision the obvious ones are probably maybe household income and obviously your happiness uh, were there any other things you considered um, as well we had we talked a lot about it my husband's actually he he went back he has quite a diverse employment history so he's he's stopped and started a lot of jobs he at, in his 50s took a redundancy and then went back to study full-time and became a family counsellor so so we're kind of part of the whole thing with this job is I've always worked because he's fluctuated so much you know like I've been the sort of the person who's been the the backup plan all the way through but because he's a counsellor he's a really good listener and so he, I'd come home from this job and I would just be dumping all this stuff on him. So 
it was no surprise to him that I was starting to, you know, fall apart. But what we had to look at was whether or not, like it had just become so much a part of my life. It was overflowing into our home. It was, it was too much. And so he knew that had something had to be done. And so really we just had to sit down and have a few serious conversations about what, yeah, finances mainly, but also how finances play out against your wife who's having a minor nervous breakdown. So, yeah. And it's interesting too how, you know, like it's a double-edged sword in some ways, or I'm sure it was a double-edged sword in some ways for you because not only are you dealing with this dreadful work day, you bring it home, you have to unload it, mm-hmm. you have to spill your guts, so to speak. But then I'm sure you're sort of going like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You know, the, <laughs> 60% of the conversation with my husband yep. is me dumping yep. on him about my job, you know, so yep. there's added stress for you there, too. Yeah. yeah. So were you both on the same page then for most of the time? Um, I think by the time by the time it got to the point it got to, um, he knew, to take it back a step, the person who's probably the best financial person in our house is me. He's very casual about things. He's kind of like, it'll be fine. And I'm very much like, we need to have like, you know, the rainy day account and we need to have this and we need to have that. So I think that by the time we got to this point, I wasn't expecting to retire when I I stopped. So it was kind of like, can we survive for, you know, a few months if I leave this job before and I don't find another job for a few months? And that was kind of the initial conversation where we started. So so we were both on the same page. It was kind of like, yeah, yeah, we can do this. You know, it's much better for... And I think he was sort of saying, you know, you can't keep doing what you're doing, no matter how great the job itself is, you can't do this and... And, and survive. I was crying. I would get to the point of Monday morning or Sunday night and I'd start thinking about going to work and I'd start weeping. Not, you know, full-blown crying, just that weeping. And I thought, yeah, no. So so we were always very much on the same page, but not thinking about retirement at that point. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> well, it's interesting remembering, like, reading your blog posts and realising that, you know, I think that was the beginning plan of just, like, get us through a few months yeah. and then I'll find something else, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, then it ended up being uh, a retirement of sorts. Yeah. That's great. You pulled the plug in February 2019. And I know that a toxic work environment can eat at you inside. It just gnaws and it gnaws and it festers. How long did it take you to feel healthy and whole and happy again? I think at least a lot longer than I expected. I'm normally a very resilient, very upbeat, very practical firstborn child, you know, onward and upward. It surprised me how much it had taken away from me and how long it took me to actually find me again afterwards. So I reckon probably six months to to feel like I wasn't talking about it all the time, worrying about it all the time, churning over it all the time worrying about what's next. There was a lot of what's next going on in my head for a long time and probably 12 months until I had settled into the idea that I probably wouldn't go back to work. So it was a much longer process than what I would have ever have thought. A good thing to sort of understand from somebody who's been there, I think, because oftentimes I think people sort of think, oh, you know, I'm just going to get out of here. 
I've got to get out of here now. I'll find another job within a couple of weeks and I'll be fine. I still have triggers now. I saw something the other day with this woman, with somebody with the name that was the same as this woman, and my heart started beating faster. So it was just, wow. I just noticed that just some, just occasionally now, but not like it used to be, but there's, it's almost like a little bit of PTSD out of it. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. it lingers. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Pretty, pretty scary. And, and I guess that sort of leads into my next question, a personal question again, and I appreciate you being so um, upfront with about everything. Did you ever have little panic moments about the decision, like not about the the, the her person. or the name or anything, but about the decision, say in that first year? Oh, definitely. I'm I'm an overthinker. I have a T-shirt that says "Probably Overthinking Everything." I wear that a lot because I do. I think, and I have a plan A. My husband laughs. He says, "You've got a plan B. You've got a plan F. You've got a plan." And I did. I I thought, what have I done? Because I knew I would never get a job that paid what that job paid. Um, and also when I left, this the, the woman herself, she wasn't a bad person. She was just in a very messy place in her life that overflowed. And she was saying to me, you know, like, go, just go and take some time. And, you know, if it all works out, you can come back and all that sort of thing. So I was throwing all of that around and thinking, should I go back? Should I not go back? Should I look for another job? What if I can't get another job? And then, of course, COVID hit in the middle of all of this because I was just coming out of the whole tunnel of it and it was COVID. But in the early stages, my husband, the counsellor, did a really good little exercise with me. He has um, a set of cards that are um, values cards and they have things, anything like love, courage, kindness, adventure, all these different, you know, things and I did this process where you basically um, whittle those cards down until you end up with the top six values that resonate the most with you and I said to him well you know what does that do and he said well what you do is you take the top three and when you ask yourself a question you say can I apply those three things and feel good about it so like when my top three ended up being freedom flexibility and I think courage um, or authenticity, authenticity, and he was so. It was like, could you go back to work and have freedom and flexibility and feel like you're your authentic self? No, you know, no. So that helped me a lot to to try and when I I start overthinking it to go, does this work? So. Hmm. My first thought is that when we're done recording, please stay on the line because we have like thirty seven thousand <laughs> things that we have in common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's just so interesting it, it's interesting how it does eat into every part of your life but what a great exercise and it was do you know if that sort of thing is available online i'm just yes, wondering yes it is <laughs> does your husband and i wrote a blog post on it so if, <laughs> if you, when they look at my blog later um and we're gonna a, link anyways yeah there's a, okay yeah and there's also a search bar on my blog and you can put type in values and it would bring bring it up oh. but and that, but there, and I've got a link in there to one that I found online that had a similar sort of list, you know. So, oh, um, yeah, it was very, it was surprisingly helpful. Okay, quick word to the listeners: you shouldn't mm. pay attention to the rest of the podcast before you go clicking links. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to go clicking now right away. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so knowing that your husband was so supportive, I'm going to dig a little deeper if you don't mind. Yeah. The, the, the unhappiness, the frustration with 
disliking your work environment is not unusual for midlife women. Many of them dream of dumping that nine to five. Did you have to make any major lifestyle changes when you did quit? No, but we we were in a very good position because because I'm a very good I have Scottish background. My husband says that's where the frugalness comes into my personality. I've, I've got a girlfriend and she has a Jewish background and she says it's her Jewish background that makes her frugal. Oh, so, <laughs> but we have always, we've never had lots of money. We've never both had great, fantastic paying jobs or anything like that. So we've always lived within our means. We've always been good savers. And my biggest aim all through the early days of being married was to pay our mortgage off. So we basically, when all this was happening, I was 57, he was 58, and we were debt-free. That made a really big difference. Um, So we weren't looking for several hundred dollars a month to pay off a mortgage with or a car loan or our credit cards, anything like that. So that put us very much into a good position. Mind you, we were still thinking, you know, a six-month time frame, not a (laughs) indefinite time frame. (laughs) We also had some savings and our children were both off our hands, married and in good jobs. So we weren't, we didn't have any financial drain. And I think if you were working as a single woman or in a marriage where you still had a mortgage or kids at home or you were people, like I know I have family members who are big spenders. And if you're a big spender, it's very hard suddenly when you, what, when you live week to week with your pay that you know, your money comes in and you spend it. To, you, if you haven't got a backup, then you're really you'd have to really think twice. But we, we evaluated all of that and we knew we were in a good position to be able to pull back a little bit. But there was still another 10 years of working life I had in front of me that I thought I had that was going to build into our retirement funds and our superannuation and, you know, all of that that I had to take into consideration. Yeah, really interesting. Just even this morning I was looking at um, some statistical numbers uh, about cost of living and how much you need to, to live in retirement and stuff like that and, and how much you need in your retirement savings plans. Yeah. And I'm going like, holy crikey, who did they interview for this information? But that's because you know, a lot of people want to have the same or a better lifestyle than what they have currently. So yeah. Um, yeah. we have in Australia, the, our government has an online calculator that you can actually put um, some figures into and see what what that pans out as as an annual income going into forever and that sort of thing is really really helpful so I think if you, you sort of google around you can find things like that but you can't live on fresh air you have to have yeah you know yeah, yeah. I've actually created something myself yep. within my business it's called an income outgone analyzer and, uh, you know, so it's a Excel spreadsheet with that numbers all, all auto-populate. And transfer Very helpful. Need to go and stuff Very like reassuring yeah. to have something like so. that so that you, you're making a logical decision, not just, a uh, you know, an instant circumstance-driven decision, you know. Well, and also I think um, I call it spending the same paycheck twice. You know, where you think, oh, I've got this much money coming in, so I'm going to do, I could do this. And the next day you sort of think, oh, yeah, that money's coming in. I, I can do that. You know, and mm-hmm. suddenly you've spent that same amount of money two, three times and mm-hmm. something's got to give. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think maybe, I don't know if you've answered this or not, but I'll ask it anyways about the conversations you had with yourself. And, and what would you recommend midlife women think about 
if oh, yeah. getting gone from the workplace is really eating yeah. at them? I think it depends. If they're planning on just changing jobs, that's not such a big deal, except that you've also got to realise this is a really ageist thing to say, but changing jobs after you're 50 is a lot harder than changing jobs when you're 20 or 30 or 35. I actually swapped from being in the dental side of professions into a medical side of professions when I was 52 and I realised then when I was going for jobs that I was up against a much wider field than, um, you know, when you're in your 30s. So you've sort of got to keep that in mind as well, that you may not just, like, if you were 35, you could quit a job and maybe walk into another one tomorrow. Nowadays, it, when you're getting into your 50s and 60s, it's harder. Employers look at you and think, oh, she's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Especially in a, a face-to-face position where you're, like I did a lot of reception work, and you're not as attractive as the 30-year-old, false eyelashed, beautiful hair, Botoxed cheekbones or whatever. <laughs> I, I call bullshit on that one. <laughs> it is. It, I did too, but it it is. Yeah. No. no I, but I'm just looking perception. at you and saying. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't think there was either, but when you see when you go into see who you're interviewing against, it's you know. But when it comes to something like retirement, I think the biggest thing is to look at how much of yourself is tied into what you do. So, you know, the question, a lot of people say, you know, you meet somebody and they go, oh, what do you do? And, or when you're filling out a form and you write, oh, you know, I'm a dental therapist or I'm a receptionist or I'm a business manager or I'm whatever. And now I'm having to write retired. And the first time I did that, it was like, oh, I'm old. You know, (laughs) it it changes your view of who you are. And, um, and, you know, and people used to say, you could say, um, what do you do? And you might say, well, you know, I, I'm, I was a dental hygienist. Oh, that's really interesting. I've got this tooth, blah, 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 and the conversation goes on. <laughs> now, you know, people go, what do you do? You go, oh, I don't, I don't work anymore. And it's kind of like, oh, that's nice. Next, you know, move on to the next person because it's, it, re, it redefines you. So you sort of got to have a process of redefining yourself in, as you are going to leave. And also um, how you're going to fill your time because I'm very good at puttering. I'm very good at having a few little interests and having some quiet time. But I've got other friends who are retired who fill pack every moment of their day with stuff to do because they can't do nothing. They don't see they see they probably tie this their self-image into their productivity still a little bit. And there is a big element of that um, that works underneath as to how we see ourselves and what retirement does to that picture of ourselves. Yeah, and maybe something something good to practice mm. prior to mm. to that, just in terms of, you know, and I know on those forms they don't have happy involved grandma <laughs> as an option. Whereas, you know, for, for a lot of, well, we're talking women here, but for a lot of women, being a happy involved grandma is yeah. what they want. Yeah. Or volunteering or, yeah. you know, like all those sort of things. Yeah. But as you say, so many people define themselves and get defined I think it both both ways by the the job yeah and so yeah good good thought there and the other thing might be too that you don't have to necessarily unless your job is just has got to the point where you can't handle it that you you can devolve it down like I remember you said that you took quite a bit of leave and Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a girlfriend who works for government she took all her sick leave as stress leave her doctor wrote her a medical certificate and she took several months she had a long-term employment took several months off on stress leave to get to see whether she could go back or not you can 
like I actually was working more days a week and I managed to negotiate with the woman I shared the job with about me working less days and her working more because she was less impacted by what was going on. So before you actually pull the pin, I think sometimes it's good to see if there are ways to make it work. Right, right. Yeah. Just one other side thought there is because I'm at an age where many of my friends are retired, and I've mentioned this a few times um, in different interviews, but all the women I know that were retiring about the same time as their husbands, all of them said, you go ahead and retire, honey, and six months from a year from six months to a year from now, I'll retire. But they wanted their husbands to, to find another life, busy yeah. stuff doing um, before the woman yeah. came home. Yeah. And, they, yeah. you know, because... Most yeah. people can't spend 24-7 together. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So some of our listeners are probably really loving the idea of following in our footsteps. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember some of you writing about this time of your life. If a person really wants, really needs to quit a job, but absolutely needs income, you know, you'd mentioned it took you a long time to heal from a toxic workplace, but... I know it's not your lived experience. In your opinion, though, do you think a person can successfully leave a long-term position in a dreadful environment and promptly perform well in a new workplace? Sorry, as I said, I know, I know you didn't oh, have no, to do that. But. It is it is actually still quite valid to me because I truly, truly believed that I would walk away from that place, I would give it two weeks, and I would start, you know, you know, and what I had actually done is just weeks before I actually left, I applied for a position with another medical specialist and and he was keen enough to get me that I was actually away and he waited for me to get back to have the interview. And I went into the interview, I was thinking, this is my escape hatch, you know, off I go. And when I mentioned about triggers, the interview, the things that he was saying, there was all these things going off in my head, in the in the back of my head, and I started almost self-sabotaging the interview because he said things like, I'm really looking forward to my wife becoming part of the practice in the next, you know, short time. Our child's grown up now and, you know, and she can become part of it. She really wants to get involved. And I'm, I could just hear these warning bells going, I'm thinking, no. And he was, you know, there were different things that he was saying that I could hear from when I'd got drawn into this other job that were the same. And I didn't, I I felt like I had lost my trust in what people said in about jobs. So in the end, I went home and all the way home, I was thinking about it. I got home probably two hours after I got home, I sent him an email and withdrew my application because I, I was just not in the headspace to be able to handle a similar thing happening to me again. And so then I progressed with my job and ended up walking out <laughs> a few weeks later. But after that, I then applied for probably two or three jobs over the next month or two months. And when I didn't get to an interview stage, instead of being disappointed, I was relieved. I just think, you know, I'd, and I was reading into them like the things, you know, where when you really want a job and you're really keen, you read stuff and you think, oh, yeah, I can do that. And so, like, if you're looking for a part-time job, it'll say, like, will involve some sick relief for other team members or um, you may need to work full-time when the other team members on holidays. And I would just extrapolate that out and think, no, this means that I'm not going to be part-time. I'm going to be filling in all the time or I'm going to be... And it's kind of like I just 
it just took a long time for me to to think to be able to think to myself yes I could do this again so so yeah there some people I think if you were desperate if I was really desperate for the money I'd ignore all that and just jump in again and hope for the best but I yeah I, I just it really messed with my head really messed yeah. with me. yeah and what's come through I think the whole time we've been talking is just that need to to listen to your gut yeah yeah and to give yourself space and to stop expecting yourself to be superwoman you know just to allow yourself the grace to say I've had this really traumatic event in my life it may not look traumatic on the outside to other people because I've kept a lid on it and I didn't want to embarrass this woman either because she what she was going through in her own way was a very traumatic experience for her and she just didn't handle it well and poured it out all over me but we live in a smallish community and they they are you know he's a surgeon and you don't want to be bad mouthing people so you can't you know there were only a few people I could talk to about it so yeah it's it took a long time to get it out of my head yeah and (laughs) this is going to sound strange coming from me but but it sounds like really great that that you had your husband and you know and how fortuitous that he had just become or recently become <laughs> yeah. a counselor yeah. and yeah. and didn't try to didn't try to do the oh Leanne I, I can fix you it <laughs> sounded like he he was the good counselor who listened yeah, yeah. and then yeah. came up with you know like the cards and the values yeah. and things like that yeah. Yeah. so that you basically were making your own decision yeah but he actually said to me at one point you can't keep coming home and just spewing this all over me you know like mm-hmm. and then about, I don't know, a little bit later on that day, he said to me, no, I was wrong to say that to you because you've got nowhere else to to let it out. So, you know, and he's he had the training to be able to, and he's the type of person that he doesn't internalise stuff. Women personalise a lot of stuff. He could let it roll over him and out. I think he was sort of saying our conversation needs to be bigger than just this woman and her craziness you know, and the stories, yeah. the stories that I would come home with, you know, <laughs> and, and the other woman and I, it was really good. I was job sharing too, because we bounced a lot of stuff off each other and we laughed about some of it because you had to laugh. It was crazy town and, you know, but sad, crazy town. So, so um, yeah. you didn't ever felt the need to move to a really big city so you could spew your guts <laughs> and nobody know who you're talking about. <laughs> Just go out there and say, oh, this crazy woman I work for. And people go, oh, yes, I know her. And you think, no. Yeah, right. (laughs) The names have been changed to protect the guilty. (laughs) Um, A little interjection here based on my own experience. I loved my job. And it was a new boss who created the toxicity in my workplace. And I stayed for about a year. I took a six-month leave of absence just to decide, you know, it was incomeless, shall we say, to make sure it was the right decision. And then I went back in and officially quit. Now, I I use the uh, air quotes around uh, this next word, but the woman in HR said, why don't you retire? And this is where the air quotes come in. And uh, by using that word retirement, I was able to access a small pension that I had paid into. Now, not very much money. I used to joke that I'd been there long enough to about earn maybe two bottles of wine a month in my pension. <laughs> As it turned out, 
I also got extended medical and dental out of it. So, you know, if, if that small pension alone only paid for extended medical and dental, I figured I'm only getting older. I'm I'm only going to need those Mm. things more. So that might be something else that, you know, like if someone's listening and thinking, I really want to do that, check into that option. You know, Mm. if you've been paying into any sort of a a pension plan, maybe you could do that. Is there anything that stands out about your decision-making process or the actual quitting or the recuperation afterwards? that we haven't talked about sort of any um, tips for the listeners? I think my biggest, the biggest thing you would need to think about is, is to actually do sit down if you've got a partner or by yourself, if you haven't, and actually have a, a really serious look at what your financial situation is. And where, you know, there's no point quitting something and finding that you're under a bridge eating cat food because you can't afford your mortgage, you know, um, it, you've got to weigh that up. What I hadn't realised is we were more financially stable than what I had given us credit for. I tend to work a little bit from a scarcity mindset, which is something that I need to really, I've been working on in myself because because we've had such an erratic income over the years, I tend to always think we have less than what we have. So a little a side note was that before, probably a few months before I quit the job, we had a, a person that we met who was a financial planner and he offered to come and give us a air quotes free consultation um, which turned into being a two thousand dollar consultation by the end of it all which you know um, I know I know be very wary but he was very big on you know work for another you know put as much work into the next 10 years as you can build your you know retirement fund build your you know what our, we call it superannuation in Australia. I think that's 4K in the U, US or something, or, you know, your pension, your pension fund. Yeah, yeah, Build yeah, that yeah. up, um, liquidate this asset, put it into here, do this. And what he's almost it, basically he shot himself in the foot because what it did was it made me see he had sort of like made us actually sit down and, and work out everything we owned, you know, like the little things we had tucked away for a rainy day, um, what was in our retirement fund, what was here, what was there. And it actually woke me up to the fact that we're not poor, you know, um, we're actually okay. And I could actually stop work and we're not going to be, you know, eating two-minute noodles yeah. for the rest of our life. <laughs> but we needed, it was an expensive way to do it, but we needed to do that exercise to sit down and work out what where we were financially and what we expected our, our future financial needs to be, whether we could live within our means. Um, you know, there would be no point saying, oh, we've got this money in the bank, let's do a big trip to Europe because then we've got nothing to pay the bills with. And the other thing that I did learn is that there are two different types of financial planners. There's a financial planner and a retirement planner. And if I'd known about retirement planners and I had a bit of spare money, maybe that would have been a good conversation to have because they're looking more to how do you want to live your retirement? What do you need to be able to do that as opposed to how can we make you more money? And I wasn't about how can I make more money? It was how can I afford a change of lifestyle? And, yeah, and accessing. There's, there's some online tools I'm sure that you can use, you know, like their spreadsheety type thing. I've never really run a budget because I've always just worked out this is how much we have, we need to live under that line, you know. But, yeah, to do do that sort of budgeting and to know that you're not setting yourself up for failure. 
Well, interesting too, as you're talking, I'm thinking, boy, if there's anybody younger listening, you know, really take a page out of your book and, you know, live within your means. Try to put oh, some money away. Definitely. If you've got definitely. a mortgage, get it Pay paid down as quickly off. as you yeah, cars, whatever. Yeah. And and live within your means. I don't, think it's just so live, easy yeah. to get. Yeah. Um, we, we have a credit card. And my thing with that credit card, our whole life has been that you pay it off at the end of each month. You know, you don't carry debt across the months. You don't take out, you know, loans for things that, you know, like if you really want something, save up and buy it. You know, it's yeah. the pressure. That mentality yeah. started dying, I think, in the 70s. Yeah. 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 You know, um, we have in, in Australia, or um, there's a guy in Australia who wrote, he's a financial advisor. He wrote a book called, he calls himself the Barefoot Investor. And um, he does just financial advice. He has a column in our newspaper. And his book is the uh, the best-selling book in Australia, has been for the last couple of years. Oh, wow. And it is the most, I've never bought it because I've thought, why would you need somebody to tell you live within your means, pay off your credit cards, <laughs> save money, have, have a rainy day account if something goes wrong. But the majority of people don't have that. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that you have to, you have to know your finances before you go and take a big plunge. Yeah, yeah. Just a quick aside is one of the first interviews I did this calendar year was with a financial planner who specializes in retirement planning. Yeah, I watched that. I so, listened to that. Yeah. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So um some really good advice. And and a good good thing for you to mention insofar as depending on what stage of life you're at is make sure you get the right sort of planner mm. advisor. Mm. So so you've continued on with your blogging. Yeah. Um and your support of women at midlife. Where do people find you? Okay. Well mainly and I think you're going to pop some links in as well. So I yeah. might I might send you a few links to a couple of my um, posts that might be helpful to people if they're interested in having a look at, at my process. Um, I write a blog called Cresting the Hill, which when I first started it was kind of that thing of, you know, launching into your 50s and you're sort of feeling at a bit of a loss and who am I and what am I? And it was kind of my way to work my way through that. It connected me to a lovely people like you, Agnes, um, <laughs> a really a, a lovely group of very um, positive women who are in their 50s and now going into their 60s. But what it's given me all the way through is somewhere to write my thoughts down, get my thought process in some sort of order mm-hmm. and to kind of flesh out what I'm what I'm trying to get at in my head as it's all churning around, you know. So when all this stuff hit the fan, it was a great place to write that down. So... Um, it's christingthehill.com.au because I'm Australian, so I left the .au on the end. And I have like a little menu across the top of it and early retirements on that menu. You know, you can click on that and there's a, a, several dozen posts on what I've done. <laughs> but it, Or even just in my archives in two, from 2019, you can click on that and there's what I've been writing. But I actually went back and looked at a few of them and I can see I would definitely at the beginning was wanting was planning on returning to work. And, and that's what I remember, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's been an evolving process. It wasn't kind of like, you know, throw my, you know, papers in the air and walk out the door <laughs> and skip down the, the road to happily ever after. It 
it's been a process and I think where the blog's been good is it kind of it's almost like a little bit of a um, diary of my process you know and I was actually just going to say that too insofar as you know for for anybody who's sort of thinking that they need to pull the plug sooner than later even if it's a year or two up the road you know if they don't want to start a blog but even just that journaling to help clear a bit of the cobwebs and, and get it out and and, you know, you go back and read it and sort of sort through a few things or you see a few trends or, yeah. you know, whatever. It's uh, yeah. yeah, so it's yeah. a good point there. Okay, so we'll put the link to your website. If you send me a few on specific articles, that'd be great. Yeah. Now, I've checked out your newest offerings, and I'm going to ask you, what is cultivating wholehearted living? This sounds just right up your alley. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's based on the idea of having, instead of having New Year's resolutions, you pick a word of the year and you just have one word that's kind of your theme. One of my um, other blogging friends, she's chosen bold for this year and she's blogging about how she's making bolder choices and just being braver and stuff. And I've really enjoyed hers. And my You've done that word word of the year for a couple of years now then? Several years, yes. I've had, I yeah, think, about yeah. five. And I like it because I'm not a New Year's resolution person. Yeah, no. I think you set yourself up for failure. But if you pick a word that kind of appeals to you, it kind of just gives you another thing, a bit like the journal, you know, that you can go back to every now and then and think, oh, yeah. And this year I chose Cultivate because I thought I'm sort of over, I'm, I've, I've moved past the resurrect myself stage but it's kind of like okay now what am I going to do with what lies ahead what do I want to develop in myself over this year and into the future where I can become more more real more wholehearted kinder you know um, being able to offer grace to people know who I am all that sort of stuff and it's kind of like the garden you know your garden doesn't grow if you just let it run wild you sort of got to nourish the things that you want to to you know flourish and kind of weed out the stuff that you don't need anymore or want anymore and that so I thought that's that kind of is where I'm what I'm heading to and um and I've had several several um guests once a month I've had somebody write a post about something that they're cultivating at the time being and what's interesting is last this week's post is actually from a girl who um has been writing about trying to cultivate a sense of belonging because she said since she retired seven years ago, she realised that all of her friends were work friends and she's really struggled over these last several years to create new friendships and a new tribe, you know, like of of people she's close to and she's still struggling with it and I totally get that and it's really resonated. There's been several comments that people have made to say how that's something they've struggled with too, which is another thing to think about you know? yeah, absolutely yeah that was my first thought when you said that mm. I like your garden analogy too because I mean you're <laughs> you're not going to plant something in the garden that you don't want to eat you plant no. the things that you really do want to eat in yeah. your, in your yeah. own garden yeah yeah, yeah so same, same yeah. sort of thing um is there anything on the radar for you right now as we try to put COVID behind us well yeah that's COVID's been a really interesting thing in Australia because specifically in Western Australia, we've had almost no cases. Our Premier, he shuts our borders. We're an island, as you said at the very beginning. And then Western Australia is almost like, because of the desert in the middle, um, we're cut off from the eastern side, which is a more, the more populous side of Australia. So we're almost this little bubble. And we've had, I think the total is nine deaths from COVID in Western Australia. That's it, total. 
and most of those have, or all of those have been returned travellers in the very early days or, you know, seamen who've come in on a, um, a okay. freight ship yeah. or something like that. There hasn't been, I don't, I don't believe we've had a community death. We've had virtually hardly any community transfer of it. So we're almost living in this bubble. So other than at the beginning when we all locked down and the world stopped, we, we've, we've been able to resume life again. And I think what I'm really have on my radar at the time being is, is a little bit with what Leslie wrote in the post on Monday is reestablishing contact with real people. So I have a very diverse and interesting online life but <laughs> and I was, and in during covid there were six of us that were zooming um once a week you know of my fellow bloggers and it was a great group it, they the five of them are still going strong they love it but i just realized that no this is becoming my life where i think i've had social interaction when i've been sitting in my pajamas at home all day you know um yeah. and so kind of now that everything's back and going, I, I make sure that I'm volunteering once a week. I've joined a discussion group at my church to, you know, with some ladies that are completely different to me to oh, um, be more diverse. And and I've also started just doing a little bit more creative stuff, a little bit. I'm not an arty person. I'm not a crafty person. I, I actually wrote a blog post once called I'm the anti-craft, you know, <laughs> because... <laughs> Because church groups always have these like ladies craft groups and I'm so bad at all that sort of stuff. And But I'm just discovering now that I actually, there are things that I like to do that are a little bit arty, you know. Um, I've started doing some collaging and I've started doing a bit of calligraphy and I'm sort of trying to use the right side of my brain more than the left side of my brain. And, yeah, so it's been, I'm really, I cannot say how much I love my life now compared to what it was a couple of years ago. I just, I do. Every morning I wake up and I smile. I just love it. So. And if that isn't proof positive that you made the right decision. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, you're going to have everybody jumping on the bandwagon, whether whether they like their workplace or not. It's like, oh, that sounds fabulous. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Finding interests and, and just, finding new interests whether you you know pull out the old ones or just find new ones and just experiment with that that's great so well (laughs) um i'll talk to the listeners for just a moment i hope you've appreciated today's guest and her sharing her story about ditching a really unpleasant nine to five and i know there's more than a few of you who would like to find a way to do that if you have comments on today's show, leave them where you listen to podcasts, or you can go to twoboomerwomen.com forward slash join dash the dash conversation. Uh, feel free to leave stars too. It helps us grow. Leanne, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing so much. I really sort of tried to dig into your personal life there, but sharing so much about your personal journey. I really appreciate you. Thank you. I've had a lovely time. It's been really good. Thank you for having me. So, yeah. I know. That's great. Have a great rest of week. Thank you. You too.